Hello again, friends, and welcome once more to this seance of sound that we simply call Scry. For those of you who listen on the day of release, you all know that tomorrow is April Fool's Day. So what better way to start things off than with some creepy stories that have a humorous twist to them? With the current state of the world right now, we could all probably use some laughs as well. Let's go ahead and dive into our first tale, which comes to us from Firebird X, in which he relates some odd occurrences that began to happen after moving into a new house. A few years ago, weird things started happening in our new home around the beginning of March. We'd wake up some mornings to find a single item placed in the middle of the kitchen floor. It might be a coffee cup, a salt shaker, a candle, never the same object on the floor twice. A few times, one of the kitchen table chairs would be propped up against the doorknob of the back door. This one really freaked me out. I woke up one night startled in the wee hours, just wide awake. I wasn't quite sure what woke me up, so I figured I'd check it out. I keep a rechargeable flashlight on the side of the fridge. It's one of those that has three stages. One push for side light, two for the end light, three for both lights, and four to turn back off. It's not exactly an easy button to push, and it won't come on if you just bump into it. It was on the second stage, and light on, facing the ceiling so it created a weird glow in the room. I talked to my son the next day, and he said he hadn't touched it. Sometimes it would be three or four days with nothing, and then sometimes a couple days in a row. Finding the moved object, or whatever, was never really something that scared you. Just an odd sort of what-the-hell feeling, at least until one single night. My kitchen is pitch black in the middle of the night. I get up and I go in at 5.30 in the morning, so it's still dark in there. When you walk into my kitchen... The light switch is just to the left. Next to that, the fridge. And next to that is a wooden bookshelf about shoulder height that I've repurposed as a pantry, as we don't have enough cabinets. You can't see what's on the shelves until you've walked into the center of the kitchen. I turn on that light, and the first thing I notice is that a bottle of syrup had fallen off the top shelf and leaked out in a gloopy mess all over the floor. Damn it. I head to the sink to grab cleaning stuff and only made it a few feet when I see something that stops me in my tracks with the hair on the back of my neck standing straight up. Every single can and bottle on the shelves was upside down. Every single one. 
we're talking five shelves full. Even two squeezed mustard bottles are perfectly balanced upside down. Complete and absolute fear. Period. I was afraid to turn around, so I backed out slowly all the way to my son's room and banged on his door. At this point, I'm fully prepared to tell him we need to move. He made it all the way to the kitchen, turned around, and said, April Fool's Day, and busted out laughing. <laughs> this turd had spent almost an entire month setting me up. Half of me wanted to strangle him. The other half was pretty damn impressed with the dedication and follow-through. Almost as impressive as the dozen or so cherry bombs in the pumpkin that left pumpkin guts for a 25-foot radius and had the neighbors calling the cops on Halloween. This is why some animals eat their young. Firebird X, thank you for sharing your story. I'm a father of four, and I can definitely see my older kids trying to play a prank like this. Just take comfort in knowing that two can play at that game. When my wife and I bought our current home, we also bought an old doll that we snuck into the house, pretended to find, and would leave laying around, moving it each night to a different location. Eventually, the kids asked us to throw it away, which we did, only to dig it out of the trash at night and begin leaving it in the house once more before the kids finally caught us. Our next tale comes to us courtesy of Tanim and plays on Cold War fears, nuclear war, and creatures of the night without any mischievous children. Let's listen into his story. My scoutmaster told me a story once about the time he was stationed in Alaska. He was an ordnance loader on fighter craft. They always had several fighters on the line in case the Russians decided to start World War III. Their primary mission was to bring down any bombers headed into our airspace. Since that made their base a prime target for commandos, they had a good perimeter with several checkpoints before you got to the base. One of the middle checkpoints was in a wooded area out by itself. It was basically a shack with no lights next to the road between the outer fence and the inner fence, manned by a single guard with a radio. One night, they heard a gunshot go off, followed by a long, full-auto burst and another, and another, and another. Then, single gunshots. All the guard shacks reported in except this one. Out rolls an armed response team, ready to fight the invading Ruskies, all pumped with adrenaline and armed to the teeth. At the same time, the emergency F-16s are tearing down the runway, and the flight crews, jolted out of sleep, are prepping and launching every bird they can, 
World War III is here. Oh, shit. The rescue team gets to the shack, and there's no sign of trouble. Or the guard. They light up the shack and see him sitting inside. His M16 is on the floor, empty, and he's surrounded by empty magazines. There's a 38 in his hand, and he's got it pointed at the back of the shack, pulling the trigger over and over again. You can hear a loud click, 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 because he's already fired off his last round. The back of the shack is riddled with bullet holes, and he's raging incoherently about, they're coming for me, they're coming for me. Nothing was found anywhere nearby. They disarm him and get him back to the base. After some good medications, he calms down enough to get out this story. He'd been sitting in the shack for a few hours and had heard a noise coming from the back. He turned around and flipped on his flashlight. The entire back of the shack had hundreds of small hands poking through it. Each looked like a small child's, but they didn't have the right number of fingers, and they were pitch black. Not black like a man who is dark skin, but pitch black. The demons were coming for him, so he opened up with everything he had. Needless to say, the doctors locked him up and kept him under observation until they could get some psychological help. And they called the fighters back. We would all live another day. The story starts to circulate around, and my scoutmaster hears it. It sounds familiar to him, and he tells his commander. His commander tells the base commander, and they send him out to look around. He walks behind the shack and just nods. It turns out the guard was a city boy who had never been in the woods before. Alone in the dark, he hadn't recognized the hands reaching for him. But my scoutmaster, from rural Arkansas, knew what they were, and the raccoon prints everywhere behind the shack confirmed it. Someone must have been feeding them through the wall. They were used to reaching in and pulling out some treat. So when that poor, scared city boy turned on his flashlight, there was those raccoon hands, which looks like a human hand, only smaller and with fewer fingers. It would be funny if it hadn't ended up with a discharged neurotic airman and hadn't almost started World War III. Danim, thank you for that story. And while I can certainly show empathy for that soldier, I do happen to find some humor in this encounter. Imagine if World War III was kicked off because of some hungry raccoons. I mean, wars have been fought over some pretty stupid things in the past, but this might just take the cake. Thank you again for sharing that story with the world. It certainly put a smile on my face. 
Our next experience comes from Just a Merc and doesn't feature raccoons or children. Just a bit of car trouble on a lone rural road one night. Here is Just a Merc's story. Back around 1987, I was in my junior year of high school. I was driving back from work if I remember right, and it was around 1am or so. So I take my turn off Highway 169 here in Kansas. I was living with some friends and their family. Anyways, I make my turn off to go home, and about a quarter of a mile on the gravel road, I get a flat on the front passenger side big deal, right? So I change it. For some reason, the spare, it locks up the wheel, and I end up in the ditch a little bit. Well, shit. I'm nearly two miles from home in the middle of the country early in the morning, or late at night, however you want to look at it. I have no flashlight. The moon was bright enough at times when the clouds didn't cover it, so I was able to change the tire. The area is kinda creepy at night. I mean, most gravel roads are creepy at night, especially when you have to walk them for nearly two miles. So I'm walking and walking, and every now and then, I'll see a critter cross the road ahead, hoping it ain't a rabid skunk or whatever. Every now and then, I would hear coyote packs howling. So, I'm getting a little creeped out. Now, I'm almost home. Less than a quarter mile from home. Getting closer, I pass this farm. It's a nice farm. They have all these spotlights shining from the barns. The barns and some of the pens are pretty close to the gravel road. As I'm walking by this farm at nearly two in the morning, I get creeped out from all the shadows and howls of animals. I pass under one of the spotlights. The spotlight covers me, casting my shadow onto the gravel road. As I get past it, the light is at my back, now giving me a little bit of light ahead. All of a sudden, this shadow comes up behind me, getting bigger and bigger until it swallows my shadow completely. I'm about to piss myself, thinking I'm about to be a late night snack or an early breakfast for some creature of the night. I decide I'm gonna try and fight back. I swing around, swinging my fists and yelling at whatever was going to take me. All I see is a dark figure and blinding light coming from behind this shadow. I'm not hitting anything either. I was able to calm down a bit as I was able to see what it was that was about to devour me. It turned out to be a fucking cow. One of the bulls the farm had seemed to have gotten curious at who was walking down the road that late, 
The bull had gotten between the light and me, causing this demon shadow. I ran the rest of the way home after that. Sorry if it wasn't that creepy, but it was creepy then, and I got my car back the next day. Thank you, Just a Merc, for that story. Now, our listeners may be thinking that all the stories in this episode are going to be pranks or misidentified animals with nothing paranormal about them. But that's not the case. When we return from our break, we're going to look into a story that definitely features the paranormal. But first, a word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Scry. Now it is time to look once more into the obsidian mirror and conjure forth our final tale of the episode. In this encounter, Swindle 1984 describes moving into a new house as a child in which a former resident makes itself known and the unusual method of removing that spirit that Swindle 1984 would eventually discover as a teenager. Here is his tale. Just fair warning, Scry is flagged as explicit, and stories like this are part of the reason for that. Okay, here we go then. A number of years ago, we found a nice, two-story house for sale that was a screaming deal. Such a low price for the house made my parents suspicious that there was something wrong with it, but the inspection showed that the house was in almost perfect condition. It was in a nice neighborhood too, so we took the deal and moved in. It started slowly at first. Every morning, there was a little puddle of water in the upstairs bathroom. And then, we started hearing the bathtub drain gurgling in the middle of the night, even though no one had been using the tub. It always stopped gurgling if you went to go check on it, and it wouldn't start again. We also noticed that the dog acted really nervous when he was upstairs. He especially did not like the bathroom, but we didn't think anything of that since the only time we took him in the bathroom was to give him a bath, and he'd never liked baths. Then, things started getting creepy. We'd hear the floorboards in the hall creaking, or steps on the stairwell, as if someone were walking on them. The puddles on the bathroom floor got larger, and my dad could never find where the water was coming from. We started seeing things out of the corner of our eye, but there'd be no one there if you turned to look. Then, the whispers started. Indistinct talking, as if someone was just out of earshot while talking quietly. We'd randomly wake up at night and hear the whispering, but if we got up to find the source, 
it would stop. The tub gurgled every night now. In the morning, the entire floor would be sopping wet. This all happened over the course of three or four weeks. So the slow escalation was difficult to notice, except abstractly. By this point, the dog was utterly terrified of spending the night upstairs. He was very nervous about it, but would follow us around upstairs during the day. But at night, he absolutely refused to go up there. Eventually, he took to sleeping outside in the shed and refused to go in the house at all after dark. The one time we tried to force him upstairs for the night, he literally pissed himself in terror and nearly broke a leg thrashing to get away. A comment by one of the neighbors that it was good to see the house occupied again got my mom's attention. She asked what she meant, and the neighbor explained that the house had been empty for almost six years. The only time anyone ever went there was when the real estate people sent maintenance guys over to keep it clean so they could sell it. Before that, several families had moved in, but always left within a few months. Now, my mom was getting weirded out, and it started to affect the rest of us. The increasing nightly activity was getting very obvious too. We had to leave a towel stretched across the door to the upstairs bathroom to keep the nightly puddle of water from spreading to the hall. The tub gurgled almost constantly, even when you went to go check to see if there was water in the tub. And the tub would now be damp, whereas it had always been dry before. The creaking sound, like someone walking around in the hall or on the stairs, was continuous. It only stopped if you went to see what was making the noise, and it started again as soon as you were back in bed. Then, she appeared. It was a teenage girl, soaking wet, naked as a jaybird, and somewhat transparent. Wherever she stood, she dripped water on the floor. She never said anything, never did anything, just stood there, dripped water, and stared at you. The first time she appeared, both my sisters ran screaming from the house and refused to come back inside. They spent the night in the car instead. She only appeared at night, and only if you were in the room alone. If two or more people were in the room, she wouldn't appear. It took several days before all five of us saw her, and were pretty creeped out at this point. So my dad went down to the city hall and the library to do some research. He pieced together most of the story himself, looking through records of previous owners of the house and newspaper articles. In the late 80s, the family owning the house had a teenage daughter who slipped in the bathtub, hit her head, and drowned. 
It never said which bathroom she died in, but it was pretty fucking obvious to us that it was the upstairs one. Her parents were too distraught to stay in the house and moved away. Several other families moved in after that, but none stayed longer than a few months before moving right back out again, and the house would sit empty for months at a time. Finally, as the neighbor had said, it sat empty for almost six years before we moved in. Now we knew why it was such a great deal. We decided we weren't going to be scared out of our home by some wet naked ghost, so we took action. We had a Catholic priest come over to exercise the house. He didn't believe the place was haunted, but he humored us and went through the motions. Nada. She was there, along with all the other phenomena, that same night. Then, we hired some professional exorcist guy. He showed up with a bunch of sage, lemons, and other crap, and did his whole spiel. She was still there, but he was nice enough to give us our money back when we said it didn't work. We tried to get those ghost hunter guys on TV to come check out our house, but the jerks never called us back or anything. We even got desperate enough to call one of those psychics over, but she went into this moronic seance routine where she did a fake and terrible pirate voice and some high-pitched little girl imitation, so we threw her out. Get out of my house! So, we decided since we couldn't get rid of the ghost, we just out-stubborn it. Nobody was chasing us out of our home. My parents shared a room, obviously, so they rarely had to deal with the ghost directly. Just the noises and the puddle of water in the bathroom. My sisters moved into a room together instead of having separate rooms, and also spent the night at a friend's place as often as possible, since they were really creeped out. Obviously, this means I had to deal with the ghost nine times out of ten. It got to where I'd leave a big pan on the floor where she stood staring at me so she wouldn't drip all over the carpet. It was really creepy having this transparent person just stand there, staring at you all night long. But she never did anything or said anything, so we figured it was harmless. One night, my sisters were over at a friend's house, and my parents were out late at some office party or something. I was home by myself watching television. There was absolutely nothing on, and I was bored out of my mind. Then I look over at Ghost Girl, where she was standing there, staring at me, and making the floor wet. Hmm, about 16, maybe 17. Good looking if you ignore the whole I'm transparent bit. And did I mention I was incredibly bored? 
Eh. Why not? She vanished, and the house hasn't been haunted since. Bitch didn't even let me finish. Well, yeah, I, uh, I don't even know what to say. I got nothing other than all stories on Scry are purported to be true. And Swindle 1984, I'm just going to leave it at that and thank you for sharing your story with us. And with that, it's now once again time to close the gate and banish all things dark beyond the veil. But we'll let the children, cow, and raccoon hang around. Before we end the show, I would like to thank all of those who shared their stories. I would also like to thank Ira and Horrors over at DeviantArt for our logo design, along with Shadow Vibe and Mew, whose music appears throughout the stories in this episode and appears courtesy of a Creative Commons license. Check out our show notes for more from them. Our podcast recommendation this week has nothing to do with the paranormal for once, but focuses on the wonderfully terrifying films of Nicolas Cage. I'm talking, of course, about Cage's Kiss. And if you want to get some more laughs in, then you need to listen to this podcast. I've nearly peed myself listening to some of their episodes, and I eagerly look forward to each new release. Once again, that's Cage's Kiss. Happy April Fool's Day, everyone. But for now, it's time to close the gate. And as always, say goodbye. This is Scry. Scry.